<laughs> okay, that was that was exciting in a low. I shave my mustache because it gets really heavy. Like it just uh -huh. feels like it just feels heavy on my right. face, and I just shave it, and it's like a weight's been lifted off my face. Right. Well, you know, I, I'll my mustache. You know, I'll trim because a lot of times it gets down. And yeah. It's like in your in your mouth, you know, and you want to. Like yeah. And then sometimes I'll just like start to trim it and I'll think, oh, I'll just shave it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier. And then speaking of hair getting your mouth, I decided I'm ready to cut my hair because I get this hair. In my <coughs> I'm like, oh, there's hair in my food. And I pull it out into my, my, in my head still. Right. <laughs> I always, I always think about cutting my hair at this time of year because it gets so hot, you know, it's like, that's what I think about it. It's like, uh, you know? yeah oh that's true too how long have you been growing your hair because your hair is super long mm -hmm. 30 32 years i guess now 32 years yeah. wow did you just I, like what was it, like it just, twice what was that i've cut like six six inches off of it twice oh wow just for health of the hair reasons well one time i did it because i was drunk I was uh, managing at the New York Hard Rock, and uh, I got drunk with George Clinton from P-Funk. Oh, wow. <gasps> oh, and we, dang. And we both cut six inches of hair off. <laughs> were you, like, hair. daring each other or what? We were just both drunk and talking about it, yeah. <laughs> so I have I have a bag of his hair in my basement somewhere. with. Oh, little, my God. Oh, wow. in it. But, uh, yeah. You should have him sign it. I was gonna say your hair kind of looks uh, like his hair in a I way. Did. It does. It does. <laughs> and uh, I also, I also think about it, cutting it off every time I go to the bathroom because I've got to swoop oh, my no. hair. I got to swoop my hair in front of me to make sure that if I sit down, that it doesn't go into the toilet. You know. So it's like, <laughs> oh, you have given it's me a like, visual that I will never get out of my brain. I know, I know, because I mean that uh, that the the worst the worst thing is is to go to the bathroom and then realize your hair is in the toilet. <laughs> like, oh, I'm never gonna make that mistake again. You know what? There's there's women with like super long hair. Yeah. I wonder if that's a problem. I never. Thought yeah, it is. That. When I was younger, I had um, my hair was right under my butt like so it Plus, was that long it was enough to sit on it and you still didn't want to sit on it because you do everything sitting so it's right. like <laughs> yes it is a problem for women as wow well. ladies and gentlemen yeah. welcome to hypothetical comedy the podcast it's a good place to start <laughs> uh i'm i am funky sam medina and i'm athena rodriguez and we are here with dc comedian not DC like the comics. Oh, well, uh, right. Washington DC comedian Chip Jones. What's up, Chip? Hello, hello. Yeah, if I were DC like the comics, I would have a superhero power, right? Yeah, don't you? Like... I thought you did. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe the ability to make anyone laugh at any time. I thought your ability Ooh. was the ability to uh, produce sunglasses on your face when you don't actually have them on. That's right. That's it. <laughs> I love that. That's though. the zoom. The zoom power. I That's like the it. Zoom power. Hell yeah! How's how's life going, Chip? Besides, life, you know, the hair in the toilet. <laughs> life is going, life is going good because I haven't had my hair in in the toilet. In years. <laughs> it's going good. Oh, wait, what but was yeah, the second time you cut your hair? Oh yeah. The second time I cut my hair was in the summer. One time it was really, really hot and and heavy, and so I decided to cut some off. And my wife had, had been saying, "Well, you know, it, it doesn't, it isn't straight across the back. You should cut it so it was straight." So she was the one that talked me into it. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Both times talked yeah. into it. My wife tries to talk me into cutting my hair all the time. But but it, what we hear is that she, she talks you into cutting and then she's upset when you do, right? Is that yeah. Right? Yes, yeah. yes, pretty much. Yeah. If You're I like, do. no, I guess that wasn't what's going to make it look right. Sorry. Right. Just, <laughs> I was yeah. mistaken. Just grow back. Just grow back. I have, <laughs> I have a friend. His wife's the same way. Shave, shave, shave. And then he shaves and she goes, put it back on. Put it back on. <laughs> But see, the thing is, I've been growing my hair out for like almost like two and a half, three years now, and uh -huh. it's super long. It's super long, and I'm to the point where like, can I sell it? Like, if I just cut it, is that a waste? Uh, so, well, you could donate it. I could. I've done that before. Mm -hmm. I have done that before. I want to make some I... money though this time. Oh, locks oh <laughs> of love. Yeah, that's what I did last time, and it was, it was uh, some places will give you a free haircut. 
if you if you're donating it there you go that's nice hell yeah that's nice hell yeah I like when he, because uh, he's been getting to the point where it's so long he puts it in a bun like me, uh-huh. and and so when he takes it out of the bun, one of the things is like it's all curly and wavy and luxurious. So he'll, he'll take his hair down, and then he's like like this because it's all fluffy and beautiful, oh. and I'm just like, just shut up. Like a, like a shampoo <laughs> commercial. Like a shampoo right? commercial. <laughs> All I need is a waterfall, right? right. <laughs> running, running through, running through a field of daisies. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what's new in the world of Chip Jones? Yeah, what's new? You know, started to make that transition like most comedians. You know, dipping my toe and doing live shows, and then mm-hmm. still doing some Zoom because it seems like you know the way the variants going. We maybe going a little bit back more on zoom yeah i don't think zoom's yeah. ever gonna go away i mean everyone likes it mm-hmm. but it, uh, does, it does feel like um it is getting like scary again a little bit yeah because i mean we've had we've had here shows where you know suddenly someone tests positive and then everybody's like oh i was on a show with that person or i did an open mic with that person you know and everybody gets freaked out so that's yeah and then it's funny the, here because like like san francisco for example you can do two three mics a night and mm-hmm. so you know like i did three mics for the last three nights and then i tested positive for covid and there's so many people that you've interacted with yeah. with those three mics if you did only right. only one oh. night so yeah that's it's just it's crazy it really is but yeah and, uh, we'll see in uh, my radio show you know i do a radio show each week uh we still have not gone back in studio so we're still the uh the two other guys that i host the show with we're still doing it from home so we we haven't seen we haven't seen each other in person for almost three years now oh (laughs) dang it's like that's crazy how did you uh how did you get into radio hosting my uh my wife is a radio producer oh wow uh, she uh she used to produce uh npr's talk show called talk of the nation she was the executive producer wow uh and she left that to to come to uh pacifica which is the original uh community radio uh our local affiliate wpfw here and uh they had a show on fridays called community watch and comment which is basically sort of an open mic <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, wow. open mic show for people to call in and it usually is news oriented people are talking about you know what's what's the issues of the day oh like and, um uh, like uh what's what's it called it's uh commentary like social commentary yeah like what's in the news what are people talking about you know uh and originally i think they they uh brought me on to sort of be sort of be the comic relief you know i'm a comedian and and i do a lot of comedy that's topical comedy so they sort of brought me in to do that but then what they found out is i usually know more about the news than the other two guys <laughs> <laughs> so then then i sort of became like a a real member because people would come on with these wacky conspiracies or you know just factually incorrect history you know and i'm like okay well, let's take that back a little bit. And, you know, this is actually what the historical record of this is <laughs> for that. You know, so. That's one of my favorite uh, type of comedians, to be honest, because um, uh, that's how I fell in love with Eddie's art was uh-huh. all of the jokes are centered around like news or history or something. But it it makes you look at it from a different perspective and. Oh my gosh, that's it's one of my favorite ways to kind of like make people more aware of things without kind of like shoving it down their throats. Yeah, <laughs> that's true too. It is because it's more of a positive way to take it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard. You know, when I first started doing comedy thirteen years ago now, that's that's what I was. I was like an NPR comic. You know, I did the majority of my comedy was topical humor, almost like you know, the monologue from a late night. Yeah. Um, right but i found it really hard to get booked because uh bookers are afraid if you're doing that much topical stuff that you can't maintain it you know they're wow. they're, they're, they're always afraid that they're going to book comics who do topical humor they're going to be 
coming in going, yeah, when JFK got shot in the head, you know, it's like, it's like everything <laughs> will, be, will be dated, which is not a problem when you when you're writing straight, you know, family humor or something like that, you know, you can recycle those things over and over they're evergreens. But uh, and so that's when I started to build out more and more sort of my black experience and family stuff, you know, and and folding that in with that comedy, because what bookers would see, especially up in New York, they'd say, oh, that's really funny. But, you know, you're going to be back here in two months telling those same jokes. And I would come back and I wouldn't. But they're still <laughs> afraid that it's like, uh-huh. Because of gonna, people in the past. Yeah. Yeah, that they that they they get a, a topical joke that kills and then they just want to keep using it and using it and using yeah, it. Yeah, I have one like that. I just want to keep using it. It's Melania Trump is a first lady joke and I still tell it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have, because, you know, one of the things too is I had, I had this uh, topical bit, which I'm sure you guys have seen about, uh, which I call slavery cards, uh, which is about uh, my fear. It started off as my, my uh, fear of where the country would go um, if we ever had a sort of a black apology for slavery holiday. Oh, yes, I do remember con that. Congress would, would always go back and forth with this idea of apologizing for slavery. And my idea was that, you know, if they did have it, then, you know, of course, once it's a holiday, the Hallmark would start making cards. And my friends would send me these crazy cards. My white friends and coworkers would send me cards like, I'm sorry about slavery. Open, <laughs> it up. Open the card up and it says it was a cotton picking shame. Oh, <laughs> and that was that was sort of like a topical evergreen sort of thing because it was you know you could use it over and yeah. over again but but i started to notice like as we got closer to to them making juneteenth a national holiday which they have done now it's like now i'm thinking okay this joke may have finally uh have to be put away i don't know how uh how you uh retire it <laughs> <laughs> well how, how you get it how you, you can you make it into a, like a Juneteenth joke or do you think that's like well, kind of too far? Well, what I'm, what I'm thinking is that the problem is now that we've actually hit a holiday that's like that, right? you know, either the cards are real or the cards aren't real. You know, before before I could use that premise because it's like, this is what I think is going to happen once it oh, happens. Oh, yeah. Now but now that it's happened. actually happened, it's like either, either I've got to find that they actually do have the cards, which I doubt they do, but uh, or, or something else, you know, I'll have to seek out a scene. You can say that you submit ideas to Hallmark. That's right. <laughs> something like that, right? Well, you could mm -hmm. put it, the spin you could try on it is, you know, how like uh, a lot of corporations get all like money hungry around pride and they put out the rainbow and pride merchandise and stuff for people to buy. Like the same thing happened with the Juneteenth thing. I think they had... Um, some ice cream company tried to put yeah, Juneteenth was, flavor and then it was a trademark it. <laughs> it was, it was actually Walmart, Walmart. Oh my God. Store brand. Yeah. Walmart. I, and I did a joke about that, you know, the Walmart store. store oh yes. Brand. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So and yeah, I think you could use backlash. the card thing and kind of like say it that way. Oh my. Thanks, honey. <laughs> <laughs> So the two. So um, you know, Chip, it's funny that you say that because uh, Bill Burr, Bill Burr was um, talking about how he kind of is this was a Bill Burr, yeah, that he was telling jokes and he was kind of like a good, okay comic, but then once he started talking about his family and his experiences, his whole career just changed. Yeah, because you know, there's there's funny, you know, I mean, you know, everyone in their mind thinks, oh, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be an observational comedian like, like Seinfeld. But I mean, it's a really hard niche. Yeah. Uh, and most comedians start out telling jokes outside of themselves. But what really connects audiences is the personal, because then they actually feel a connection to the comedian himself and not just the material. So mm -hmm. once you start, once you turn that lens on yourself, you know, then you're not only getting the funny, but you're also getting the the intimate connection with your audience, you know? Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, did you... That, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and that, 
that's something that we have learned as an audience. Because I mean, back in the day, you know, in the in the heyday of, of comedy in the 40s and 50s, you know, the big comedians, you know, Milton Berle, all those guys, they were they were doing joke jokes, you know, you know, take my wife, please, you know, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> and 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 uh and it wasn't so much about the personal, but as we progressed, you know, through the 70s, the focus changed on looking at the comedian and the comedian themselves. Because you know, like um people talk about uh Abbott and Costello, you know, they're yeah. their, their quintessential joke is the who's on first joke yeah <laughs> yeah but that joke that joke was written probably 30 40 years before them i mean that was oh, like whoa. a oh, wow. that was like a that was like a borscht belt common joke you know and so when they first did it on television and it became synonymous with them there were a ton of comedians that were pissed because that was part of their act that they did up oh, in the Catskills for years, but now if they did it, people were like, you know, why are you doing Abbott and Costello's material? <laughs> oh like, wow, that's crazy! And it's it's like it's like we have progressed now to associate jokes with an individual comedian, and before comedians used to do material that a lot of people did, you know, and it 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 made that that uh, break between you know sort of like like in the music, you know, you, you know, songs that, that, you know, several people have done, have done covers of them mm -hmm. or right. alterations of them. Nobody ever talks about somebody doing a cover of somebody else's joke that's stealing <laughs> their joke. You know, it's like, it's a whole, <laughs> yeah, it's a, whole, it it's a whole different mindset. You know, it's like, I do, I do have a, uh, a confession though. Um, I heard a long time ago, like 2013, I heard that they did a, a Mitch Hedberg tribute show. Uh -huh. And I didn't know about it until after the show was over. And so I did do an open mic set of all Mitch Hedberg jokes. It was super fun. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that, you that's like but saying I, it was somebody else. No, I, I mean, I, right. I made a disclaimer in the beginning of the set. Right. So, but yeah, so I mean, that, that's almost unheard. Nobody's ever really doing someone else's material. And, and it's like, wow. But that used to be very common. In fact, uh, I remember one of my favorite quotes was, uh, about Milton Berle, because he was another one of those guys that they would talk about would, would uh, take people's material and he he would joke about it too. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I was uptown in New York in the comedy clubs and it, you know, some of those new comedians, you know, they're doing jokes that are so funny, I dropped my pencil when I was writing them down. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's little. <laughs> That's great. Like that scene in um, Miss Maisel where she's in the comedy club and she's writing something down and this comment's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're writing down my set? Uh -huh. Yeah, this is kind of like that because they didn't have tape recorders back in those days. Oh, That's right. <laughs> Did you find um, a sort of a fulfillment, like a difference in fulfillment when you changed the comedy to being more about your life? Um... In a way, it was a little bit harder because you got to do you got to do more soul searching and and yeah. and what makes those jokes work is that they they got to be brutally honest. You know, it's like you got to actually do some of that me work so that you can <laughs> you you can figure out not, number one you can resolve any of the issues that you have with this event and then. Um, to make it funny, you know, because it's 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 uh it, it's soul searching. I mean, I went, you know, I went for almost two and a half years not doing comedy, um, because uh, my uh, my mother and my sister both got pancreatic, actually both got colon cancer, and then they both died within uh, three months of each other in 2018. Wow. So. It it took me it took me a while to get through how I felt about their deaths and my history with them uh, before I could actually do any jokes about them. So it 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 is a it it's a harder task I think you know when you're doing jokes about real life you know 
it's much easier to poke fun at uh, something that's outside of you. Yeah, and that's why that's I think that's true. why it's so it's easier to do, you know, a nighttime monologue when you're talking about, you know, what what Trump's doing or what Biden's doing than actually talk about, you know, your history, your failings, you know, your yeah, your feels basically. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, really, really the stuff that's the funniest is the stuff that you fail at, you know, it's like nobody's <laughs> up there really telling jokes about, yeah, let me tell you a joke about the time I came in first in college. It's like, we got a joke about the time I won the lottery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me the joke about the time you, uh, you got a date, you got a date with a girl you always wanted and you showed up and then, <laughs> and then she no showed on you, you know, and it's like, <laughs> That's the humor we want to hear about exactly. your failings. You know? Tell us about that pain. Yeah, tell us about the pain. That's true. You know, yeah. you mentioned your your sister and your mother, but I remember uh, a while back that you had shared a lot of your um, sister's accomplishments, and she seemed like a pretty damn awesome, amazing person. Like the stuff she that is. she accomplished was amazing. She is. I mean, and, and uh, I tell people that's one of the reasons that fuels my comedy is that once I started talking about my family and stuff, I realized in my family, um, generally when I'm introduced, I'm introduced either as Sue Goodwin's husband, uh, <laughs> Jackie oh. Jones's Jackie Jones's brother, or Chris. <laughs> Or Chris Jones's father. It's like, yeah. We should. <laughs> hey, can we can we redo the intro chip? I'm always yeah. That's <laughs> I am always second on the list. It's always second on the list. You know. And my my uh, my day job, you know, I do computer consulting, and so uh, so a lot of times, you know, my my clients will be like, "Oh God, you must be the smartest guy in the room." And I said, yeah, as long as my wife is not in the same room. <laughs> like, uh... I feel that, Chip. I feel it. You know, people when we're out on the scene with the comedians. Uh, they don't greet me, really. This is how they greet me. This is their hello. Hey, we're Sam. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the greeting. Mm -hmm. Right here. <laughs> that's right. Somewhere here, here I brought Sam some food. Oh, you want? Something? Yeah. I just oh, he's not here. I'll just throw it away. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's it. I'm in the category of also ran. Yes, <laughs> also ran. Oh my gosh! But yeah, I mean, it's like, but you know, when you think about it, I think at the core, at the core of every really good comedian is somebody who has failed you know it's like that's, yeah. that's you know we're, we're we're the ones that um have had to had to had to figure a way to to uh turn those um those uh losses into wins you know mm -hmm. so and and we can help people yep. with laughs on, yeah right absolutely yeah when did when, so chip um you've been doing comedy you mentioned you've been comedy for about 13 years mm -hmm. at what point did you like decide like comedy was something for you yeah well interestingly enough my wife is the reason that i do stand up oh um, nice 13 years ago uh my wife started having these things called olfactory hallucinations she would smell something that wasn't there um and it turns out that 80 percent of people who have a brain tumor this is the first sign and oh, so wow. was it good stuff though no oh, it's smelling all, bad stuff it's all yeah she had uh she had burning rubber which is the number Ooh. one oh that's smell. a terrible oh. smell yeah what, which is also interesting because it's like the top three smells that people have are burning rubber uh rotting garbage oh. or or a rotting corpse uh, wow oh my so those God. are no good choices there uh, yeah, it probably just whatever which, part of the brain it affects. Oh, that's so crazy! Like maybe burning which, rubber was the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least she got the. Best what, what's 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 interesting? I mean, I used to do jokes about about. I did, in fact, the first full, uh, it's a twelve minute set that I did on this whole uh, brain. My wife with brain tumor, uh, I did at the DC Improv. But uh, the interesting thing is number one that your your body is signaling to you that there's something wrong 
And if you think about how interesting that is, that it would be smells that are horrible. Because I mean, yeah. if, if you had olfactory hallucinations that are every day, like baked cookies or roses, yeah. or you would never think, oh, I should go to the doctor. There's a problem here, right? You might be just cool with that. Oh, you know, every once in a while, I smell chocolate chip cookies. You know? I love it. I love it. But uh, so it's interesting that, that that's how your body lets you know that there's something wrong by making it a horrible smell. Yeah. Now, the thing that was always interesting to me is that, okay, you got burning rubber, you've got garbage, but rotting corpse. It seems like if you know instantly what a rotting corpse smells like, we got other issues. Like somebody should be checking, <laughs> somebody should be checking the basement in your house because it's like, I don't know how many people, you know, off the top of their head, like, oh, that smells like a dead body. <laughs> how do you know how a dead body smells? <laughs> So we started this, what turned out to be a year-long um, thing called a differential diagnosis, kind of like a house. I never saw the TV show House, yeah. where, where differential diagnosis isn't so much about finding out what it is by testing for what it is, but finding out what it is by eliminating other stuff. You know? yeah. so it's oh, like, wow. And that's going to be nerve wracking because that's a long process. Oh. It is. It's a long process. So, so as uh, an adjunct to this, she got me a comedy class at the DC Improv. Number one, to lift my spirits. But number two, I'd come home and tell jokes and do that stuff and sort of oh. do lift, lift, lift the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the attitude in the whole household. Wow. And, so uh, she bought you, sorry, she bought you comedy classes when the treatment was going to start. Like they're on the same. Yeah. Time. So yeah, because wow. like I said, this this went this went like for a year, and so I actually took uh, my first comedy class, which was called Five Minutes to Funny, where you build a five minute set, uh, and then I took another one, which was an extended class that that helped you build a ten minute set, and uh, and so we went through that, and and actually when I did my my. Uh, 10 which actually turned into a 12 minute set at the improv she had already had her surgery and had recovered enough that she actually came and was in the audience oh wow um, i love it and uh and what she didn't realize is that after we got through all this that i would be hooked and start doing <laughs> comedy. So it's like where, where are you going i'm going to an open mic <laughs> oh so her idea was the same thing you like during right. the treatment time <clears throat> yeah during the whole you know Process. situation to, to to lift lift the uh lift the uh the, the whole household you know telling jokes and how you but then afterward, it became this demon, like, you know, like going up in mic, and she'd be like, "Well, that's the fourth time this week," you know. And I'm like, oh, no. "You're like, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, I know, it's not enough, it's not enough, right?" right. But it, but it was interesting because, like I said, you know, she. Uh, I don't know if we said this before we started, but my wife was executive producer of uh, Talk of the Nation on NPR, their national talk show. And what was interesting is after she recovered and she got back to work, and I'm doing comedy now then suddenly everybody at Talk of the Nation was interested in comedy. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so they started wow. they started doing these comedy shows. And I told them, I said, well, if you're going to have a comedian on, you should actually do it in, you know, they have a couple small studio. In fact, they do tiny desk concerts with, with, um, with bands now in these small studios where people can come in and actually watch and record. I said, you should do the interviews in these small studios because comedians are always going to perform better in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. so then I would get to invite all the people that were open micers with me at that time. So we got to meet uh, Charlie Murphy, who I became friends with. Um, oh, nice. Russell oh, wow. Peters was, was, was uh, a person that we had there. Um, uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller. Wow. Um, Wanda Sykes. Um, just a, a whole bunch of people that I got to meet because they uh, they got interested in comedy at Talk of the Nation. That's amazing. That's incredible. I love it. Wow. 
That is so, oh, wow. I I bet like within your whole like comedy wingspan, because your life is just crazy story after crazy story. <laughs> but I'm I'm pretty sure that your comedy lifespan so far, you've had so many like amazing experiences. Oh yeah. Do you have any like super top favorites? Um I one of my favorite ones is uh and I actually posted uh, the video of it this past week. Oh wow. Uh, oh interesting. I did a show up in New York at Stand Up New York. Um the show that I was on with David Tell and um it was uh and it was it was like 13 years ago uh this month and uh it was the first time i had been actually booked on a show with a named person like you see on tv and uh michael jackson had just recently died oh wow and i had been tentative about this joke uh but i said you know i'm in new york forget it i'm gonna go ahead and do it <laughs> so there there had been this joke that had been flowing around the internet that um, that they had taken Michael Jackson's ashes and they had uh, they had uh, compressed them down and made them into Legos and uh, and uh, so in this way now little kids could play with Michael Jackson. And that was that was yeah. the joke. And uh, so I had taken that premise and I had said, yeah, I don't know if you heard this, but they had taken Michael Jackson's ashes and they had uh, compressed them down and turned them into Legos. And it was funny because I could see like half the audience is like, oh, this guy's doing an internet joke. And I said, you know, I think I think there's something wrong with that. I think it's really wrong to do that because it means that even in death, Michael Jackson would be a choking hazard to little boys. <laughs> Dave Attell spit up he spit out whatever he was drinking and he told me later he goes he goes I thought you were going with this internet joke but that punchline was so crazy and I was like oh thanks and it's like that's a well I feel like the compliment was a compliment on its own but having him spit out his drink yeah. That's an even bigger compliment. Yeah, and I love that joke. I also have a joke where I have a uh, a fake punchline, and then I just let it sit for a minute, and then I hit the real punchline. Well, there you go. Yeah, I like yeah because it's like and that and the cool thing about that joke too is it was one of those jokes where you get you get a wave in the audience. It's like you get people that hate that joke, you get people that hate that joke at first, and then they laugh. And then you get people that just laugh right out. You know, it's like it's, <laughs> like, it's like it's one of those things. This you know, lightning rod jokes that I like. That's you awesome. Know. It's like I have this joke now where I talk about Zoom comedy. I know you guys know this one that how I have enjoyed doing Zoom comedy because uh, I've got to do shows you know all over the world. You know, I've done mm -hmm. shows out of Tokyo and Kuala Lumpur. I said I even did a show out of Russia before all the conflict. And the thing that was amazing to me is that everybody speaks English, which, you know, I thought was amazing. But it also made me think that maybe, I don't know, maybe colonialism gets a bad rap, you know? <laughs> it's like people like laugh and I said, you know, I mean, I understand colonialism. <laughs> they, they, they killed a lot of people. They enslaved even more, stole a lot of land. But, you know, without it, people all over the world wouldn't understand my dirty jokes. You know? <laughs> so I'm 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 trying to be a, you know an optimist about it you know a positive optimist about it sort of a slave ship half full kind of guy you know that's <laughs> and it's like and it is it's, it's one of those jokes where it's like some people laugh some people groan and then you get to slave ship half full then it's like oh, everybody starts laughing they're like oh and some people are like oh my god I can't believe you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I like but that. I mean, so you get you get an opportunity because I remember the other one that's in that vein is about a year and a half ago, there was a story because I still do topical humor. There was a story of this black kid who had been selling his um, white middle school um, classmates uh, an N-word card. 
because because you know there's something about white people that want to use the n-word and so he was trying to make money to buy a a ps5 so he was selling these kids an n-word card and uh i said you know the gig was up when the first white kid came home with a black eye you know (laughs) it's like (laughs) and uh and so his parents made him give back that made him take the thousand dollars that he had made selling these n-word cards and give it to black lives matter oh that's that's good and and some people think that's good something we're we're sad you know they're like you know the poor kid and i'm like you know i'm not worried about this kid because i mean obviously he is smart and he's a go-getter i mean here's a kid here's a kid who take who took nigger and made nigger aid if you know what i mean He took he took something bad. That <laughs> kid though, he's an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah, he sold something that didn't actually exist. Right. So but, he'll be okay. Like, he'll he'll find but, his way. But the first time I did that punchline, he took nigger and made nigger aid. It's like people were like laughing and people were like groaning. It's like it's like that perfect way. <laughs> like, yeah, it's funny. I don't know if I should laugh at it. I don't know if I should hate it. You know, it's like. <laughs> and 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 a lot of times that's what we are trying to do as comedians. We're like, uh, we're like Toto in the Wizard of Oz. We, we're trying to pull back the curtain and, and let you see something you didn't know, or actually reveal something that you've known all along, but you've forgotten that you knew it. You know, so it's oh, like wow. that's that's sort of you know where you get to the we get to the part where it's not just um, it's not just a uh, a skill, but it's also an art. I mean, and that's that's a lot of the stuff that you know Dave Chappelle's been talking about lately about how, you know, he he views comedy as an art. You know, because at its core, you know, it's like any other art form. You know, you start out, you know, learning the learning the task of it, and 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 uh, you know, like you know Picasso when he first started out, he had to learn how to stretch canvas. He had to learn how to mix paint. I mean, you're an artist. Athena, you know that yep. there are these mm-hmm. these things that any trade that you go into, you got to learn the core stuff. Even yeah. if eventually you're going to break it, you've still got to know what it is. And comedy is like that. You know, anybody can, if they really dedicate themselves, they can learn the trade of stand-up comedy. And it's once you get to that point that you can find out whether you're actually, you know, a savant or an artist or someone who can take it further from there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm waiting to learn the fundamentals still so far. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a wild ride. I'll tell you that. You know, it's hard because everybody has a different opinion of what the art form is. Yeah. And it's subjective. It It is very subjective. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, it's weird like that. Cause it's like, you know, I know in other art forms, there can be people who are like, well, you know, I don't really like jazz music, but I understand. And I can, I can appreciate the fact that Miles Davis, great musician, you know, I don't like, I don't like the, the music he does, but I, I can, yeah. I can respect his skills, but mm-hmm. no one ever Absolutely. says, Oh, I really like the way the guy constructs his jokes, but I don't like his jokes. They just hate you. It's just like, eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause though the jazz example you said, like, I don't like Miles Davis, but I also don't dislike my own right. Davis, you know what I mean? Like, right. like if if you, if I'm at your house and you put it on, I'll listen to it. You know, it's cool, whatever. Yeah. But I'm not gonna seek it out myself. Right. But I mean, like I said, I mean, they're, they're, it's a weird art form because I mean, it's so much of the stuff people can say, I don't, I don't like cubism or I don't like, you know, impressionists. But they can yeah. still appreciate the art of it. But that doesn't happen with comedy. It's like people either hate the comedian or they it, it's like and it's personal it's like i hate that guy as a comedian <laughs> you know i hate it <laughs> you know well there's nobody some people that are just nobody jerks. <laughs> yeah nobody goes well you know i hate his jokes but he puts them together really well you know he's got really good premises <laughs> and and punches i just hate the stuff it's like nobody does he's that. Just, but he's a really cool dude <laughs> yeah nobody does that so <laughs> <laughs> I hate his jokes, but he bought me a beer at the show last week. So yeah, so. <laughs> he's a pretty nice guy. He's a pretty nice guy. Nice guy. He's a nice guy. Oh man! So, um, Chip, are you a, mus- a musician also? Uh, I can play just got a that look on the fringe. Well, you yeah. know, I one 
here's my story. My story is that I, I, um, I actually went to college to be a mechanical engineer. I started. I, 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 oh wow! I started out in high school thinking I was going to be a doctor like my dad. My dad's a surgeon. Oh wow! And so, um, and I excel in the maths and sciences, and so I decided that I didn't want to spend eight years becoming a doctor, and I would become an engineer. And uh, I got to my last semester of college. And I'm looking at all these people around me and I'm like, oh man, I want to be an engineer. These guys are not fun to hang out with. <laughs> Break the mold, Chip. You could do it. You could be the funny one. <laughs> you would be the only funny one. <laughs> so I've got, I've got about 16 credit hours to get my mechanical engineering degree. I dropped out. And, wow. um, and I started doing different stuff. Like, you know, my... My sister was a poet and a documentary filmmaker, and I started doing uh, video production stuff, doing lighting and grip work. Um, and then I got into um, band management because my best friend uh, from seventh grade to now, his uh, stepfather is Eddie Floyd, who um, who wrote Knock on Wood. That wow. Song. And he was a he was a VP at Stacks, and oh, wow. so I I managed his band and got into um, sort of band production. And then with them, I got I got to also use some of my uh, my computer skills because at that time they were running uh, sequence keyboard music uh, with a drum machine, and I had a uh, IBM. Uh, precursor to a laptop it was called the IBM Portable PC, which was about the size of a suitcase and it weighed 60 pounds. And so, Dang. And so I would, uh, it would be chained to the keyboards and the, and the uh, drum machine and I would load in uh, parts that would play uh, while they played live, you know, bass drums and all that stuff. Um, did, uh, did they say we need an engineer and you said, I'm almost an engineer. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. Oh they, they, knew, they knew I had computer skills because I, you know, I, I had gotten interested in computers when I was in high school on the old Apple IIe's when, when oh you boy, could do nothing yeah. but basic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it has been, my thing is I get interested in a lot of stuff. So I've become sort of a jack of all trades and a master of none. I just keep you know, something will be like, like now, I mean, I've done computer work now for over 20 years, computer consulting work, but it's like, it, it also has deviations. Like right now I'm sort of the uh, IT go-to for SNCC. I don't know if you ever heard of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. They were sort of the big group uh, in the civil rights movement in the sixties. If you ever heard of Stokey Carmichael or uh, Bob Moses or anyone, anyone like that. Um, and uh, they, uh, when, when Martin Luther King did his uh, speech at DC, uh, I have a dream. They actually had a, they actually did a speech there as well. They, oh, um, wow. They, they were part of that program. <clears throat> so uh, SNCC brought me on as an IT consultant to uh, help them move their uh, 60th uh, anniversary conference online because a lot of these people like you know 70s and 80s so they definitely didn't want to meet in public during COVID and so um, they they brought me out as just a consultant to begin with like 10 hours to help them decide on what platform they were going to use and, and all that stuff and so I started out with a 10-hour contract and I wound up with over a 100-hour contract because I became sort of the go-to guy for anything IT. And then they would have like these little videos that they wanted to introduce people. So I started producing those. And then now I'm on a new project with them where I'm helping to uh, digitize and archive all of their historical stuff. So I- Wow. I'm, that's that's incredible. I have, I've often gotten into these situations where it's like I start out down one path and then it deviates and because i've had such a varying background like uh you know like uh one of the one of the 
uh, people, but I had to do an intro video for um, the conference. This is a group called uh, BYP 100, the Black Youth Project um, Musicians. Now, they have this uh, pretty hip song, five-minute song, but the intros had to be two minutes. So um, I got permission for me to edit one of their music videos because oh, I wow. had to make it two minutes, which I was afraid of because, you know, I mean, it would be like somebody saying, okay, Sam, let me take your best joke and I'm going to edit it. You know, <laughs> right. you know I think this was with some intent in mind, but I did it. And then I sent it back to them for approval and they loved it. So it's like, I don't know that I could have done that if I hadn't had the background in doing music, you know, and in, in, in dealing with bands and stuff. So um, it, it has allowed me, the jack of all trades and sort of dipping my toe in all of it has allowed me to be able to do a lot of stuff. Like if I hadn't done video production work, I don't know that I could have edited uh, the conference videos for them or wow. to do the stuff that that they need now so that is freaking but, uh, crazy it's like every experience in your life kind of helped you in another aspect of your later life you know yeah that's so crazy you like forrest gump you've been in all the uh, major <laughs> <laughs> All the major events. That's, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like that's the feel. That's the vibe. That's it, yeah. I'll be, yeah. oh, that, that'll be my, my new thing. He's the black gump. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in the background waving. <laughs> like, you never know where he's going to show up. But <laughs> so oh, that, yeah. I mean, the one, the one thing I did miss out, I mean, even during in the, the music phase, I never was a drug user. You know, I've never smoked pot. I've never done any of those things. You still got time. You know, in high school, <laughs> in high school, I was sort of a jock guy. So we drank beer. And then by the time I got to college, you know, I was past the peer pressure and never, and none of my friends really did, did weed or anything like that. Did you say you never smoked pot? Nope. Wow. And That's so crazy. Do you drink? I, I did drink, but occasionally, you know, not, you know, I, I drank in in college but you know once i got back and also you know for a while i was a, i was for 10 years i was a manager uh with hard rock cafe so i did oh nice and uh actually opened up a hard hard rock in in puerto rico oh wow Whoa. that's uh, what's uh what's that like opening up a hard rock in puerto rico yeah it was it was fun i mean it was it was hard work and we had a lot of things that we had to overcome like um so Puerto Rico, big port of call for the cruise ships. And okay, so we had, that makes sense. We, had to, we had to figure out something because when the cruise ships come in, they tap in to the uh, municipal water supply and they fill up, which means that the water pressure in the town goes to nothing. Oh. <laughs> so, so we had to we had to actually wind up creating our own tanks and uh, and filling those with water before the cruise ships came in so that we could run our operation when they came in but uh wow uh was it like was there a need for it i guess it's very pretty touristy in puerto rico especially yeah. where the cruise ships are yeah yeah so and and that's that's usually the the uh the ethos of hard rock it's always in in areas where in touristy areas touristies yeah like uh yeah. there's a hard rock a franchise hard rock in uh tiananmen square in uh in uh in china so, you know, oh, when people wow. don't realize when we think of Tiananmen Square, we think of, you know, the the protest and the guy in front of the tank. But Tiananmen Square is actually a mall. And um, there's a there's this one billionaire guy who owns every American franchise in Tiananmen Square. So he's got a Hard Rock Cafe. He uh, has a fr uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. He has a McDonald's. Uh, he uh, used to have a hula hands, but I think it's no longer there. Uh, and he had one other restaurant, which I can't remember, but it's like if he bought anything that was an American food concept, you were paying this guy because he owned all of them. Wow. In that, in that mall. That's crazy. Um, the, er, the story you told earlier about um, George Clinton and cutting your hair and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you said that was at Hard Rock, right? Yeah, in New York. Have you, uh, is that where you were working, Hard Rock, New York? 
sometimes we would go up and take over, you know, if, if uh, the regular management staff was doing an event or something, we would do, we would do that. And I actually did, I spent, uh, all, all managers spend uh, uh, two months down in Orlando at the corporate headquarters. And so I actually, actually trained in the old Orlando Hard Rock, which was uh, part of Universal Studios. Uh, but they they wound up demolishing that one and moving it onto the other side of the park and making it much bigger because now it has its own amphitheater and everything. But, oh yeah. wow, that's crazy! Did you uh, did you get to meet a lot of celebrities and hang out with a lot of cool people working at Hard Rock? Yeah, in fact, I can't find. I was looking for that picture the other day. I, my my favorite is I have a photo of me with James Brown. Oh wow! Oh. When he was at the uh, DC Hard Rock, but I, you know, we had Bill Clinton played the saxophone there. Uh, Were you there Grace, for that? Yeah. My, wow. Grace, Grace Jones. Uh, uh, who else? Who else? I mean, wow, we just saw a video with Grace Jones. That's BB, crazy. BB King, uh, um, Johnny Cash. Um, trying to think of who else. Big big people that I've, I've met through the hard rock. I mean, it's just a ton of people. We also used to do these events in New York every year with a charity that hard rock uh, is associated with called Nordoff Robbins. And this charity helps autistic kids by teaching them how to play music. Oh, and wow. so Wonderful. we'd have a fundraiser every year at the Roseland Ballroom in New York. And so, uh, and they would take managers from different hard rocks to go up and run it. And uh, uh, the year that I went up to help run it, I met Phoebe Snow, I met Fergie, uh, I met Sting. Um, um, who else did I get to meet there? I can't remember, but I mean, it was always, it was always fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What a wonderful program. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's oh, my my funniest hard rock person to meet is uh, this little old lady came into the DC hard rock and she started to take memorabilia off the wall. <gasps> Whoa! And so um, an employee came and got me and said, "There's a lady in the bar area who's trying to take some memorabilia off the wall." And so I went over to speak to her and she's like this should not be here i want to take this this should not be here and what she was taking off the wall was um the original music to uh peggy sue buddy holly's peggy sue and she was frantic and uh so i got her to sit down and got her something to drink and talk to her Turns out she was Buddy Holly's mother. Whoa. They had donated the the uh, music hard rock with the stipulation that it be kept in the Dallas hard rock in Texas, where they're from, where Buddy Holly is from. And somehow it had gotten put in the DC hard rock. So then I had to call corporate and they had to call lawyer and so all these lawyers come in and they're talking to her and stuff and so we wound up having to take it off the wall and promising her that we would send it back down to dallas but it's like it's like at first you're like oh this crazy old lady right (laughs) yeah right this this is buddy holly's mom (laughs) Did, did that uh ever go up in dallas do you know yeah, I went back to Dallas. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it did go back up. But uh, did you replace that with something on the wall? Yeah, I think actually I think it got replaced with with uh, sheet music from the Beatles in that area. Oh, nice. But it's interesting because I'm I'm in I'm in talks with this guy who's doing uh, comedy shows at the Hard Rock in DC because I have I have not been in the Hard Rock in DC in probably 20 years since a little bit after I left there. So I'm interested to go back because I I'm understanding they did. Uh, a ton of renovation and I probably won't even recognize the inside of the place anymore. Everything's moved around because when I saw pictures of, of the comedy setup, it's like everything is totally different. So, but I'm, I'm hoping to do a show there in, in the next month or so. <clears throat> and I doubt, I doubt that I know any of the employees there anymore. 
Yeah, probably not. There might be like one or two like people that, that have been there yeah. for 20 years. I just yeah. want to know how she found out about that thing being up in that one. I mean, maybe somebody saw it and told her. I think I I just think that she actually just came in because there were oh. other people other people that were looking for her and they came over and, and, and were talking to her as well. I think they were just in town. Oh. Whoa. She just happened to see that and it's like, why is that here? And she was ready to take it back if he didn't go to DC or right. Dallas. That's crazy. One, one of the funniest things when we, uh, when we, uh, <laughs> so I guess you guys have been in a hard rock. So it's just, you know, memorabilia. So um, one of the things is we had a whole collection of signed guitars all around uh, the hard rock. And this uh, cleaning company. We're vying to <laughs> to take over cleaning our operation, and we came in the next morning, and it's like you know, yeah, the place is clean; it did a really good job, but something just seems off. We just can't figure out what it is. And then later, one of the managers goes, "I figured out what's wrong." He goes, "Look at the guitars; they're no, no. longer they're no longer signed." So the cleaning company, <laughs> oh, wow. oh, no. trying to impress us, actually cleaned, I mean, scrubbed all of the signatures. I mean, can't they see that they're autographs, though? That, you know, they're, oh, I mean, to be man. honest with you, I think most of them are El Salvadorian. I mean, they're, oh, they're, they're you know. They're, they don't really understand American tradition. They're, they're English as second language, and they probably are, are fairly new to the country somebody graffitied all over this place right so it's like so it's like you know someone had estimated that the uh that the uh they had wiped away like a hundred thousand dollars worth of value off of these guitars so we had to have a the um hard rock has a curator department they actually have this interesting or they did at this time this interesting guy who was the curator of the hard rock he uh he actually was a wall street stockbroker and just got burnt out and went down to the hard rock to get a job and he got a job as a host <laughs> that's where he started and then he, oh, he he said you know you have a great collection and someone should be curating this stuff and wound up taking that job but he set up a a, a system where we'd have to take down two or three guitars you know every couple of weeks and they would send them back out to get re-signed the, this is re-signed this is, yeah how does that work you send it back to the artist and ask them if they would sign them again. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just signed this four times. Leave me alone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but but here, here, here we come full circle. So the interesting about this guy is in the original Orlando hard rock, they had this thing called the cloud room, which was like a, a function. It could be closed off as a function room uh, when it wasn't used as a regular dining. And it was called the cloud room because all the artists were dead, oh. basically. So it was like heaven. <laughs> oh, wow. And he had created this uh, box frame of uh, the Buddy Holly crash. Whoa. So he had memorabilia in this box, you know, the newspaper of the crash, you know, different uh, memorabilia for. Um, Richie Valance and and the Big Bopper and stuff. And then he had this thing that he had bought in auction. The way they had identified this plane and who was in it in the crash was from this one item that didn't get burned up in the crash. And it was Buddy Holly's wallet with his ID in it. And he had gotten that wallet in auction and had put it in this case. So, like I say, full circle, we talk about Buddy Holly's mom, and now we talk about this uh, this uh, piece of memorabilia. That the only way they could identify that crash was from Buddy Holly's wallet and his ID. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. That's also crazy. scary. Yeah, I but it was a long time ago, you know, they didn't have they have better stuff now right. to identify people. Oh. I remember I remember the kids in the hall did a skit about it that I thought was hilarious. Uh, the premise of the skit was that uh, Buddy Holly had a pet monkey. I don't know if you ever saw this. 
Oh, Buddy Holly had a pet monkey and, and Richie's afraid to get on the plane and, and uh, the big popper's like, are you sure that's a good idea? And Buddy's like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's smart. He can do anything and flies on it. And it's like the monkey flying the plane. Oh, no. <laughs> like, what's the worst that can happen? And the monkey's like, ee, 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 ee. Oh, it's like the true story of what happened to Buddy Holly, the big bopper. Oh did you know? <laughs> the true story. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, Chip. That's that's so funny. That you've you've lived such a incredible life. I mean, you've seen it all, really. Yeah. You've seen so many experiences, so many things. Um, do you have uh do you have any like favorite places in comedy that you performed? I mean the 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 one that that hit, hits me the most. I did um, I did the uh, music box in the Borgata uh, Hotel Casino in New Jersey, which is to date still the the biggest venue I've done. It's a thousand seats. Wow! Uh, which is, I mean, just to be on a stage like that and look up and to see that. I should I should say it's a thousand seats, but there was only like eight hundred and ninety-five. I mean, still, <laughs> still quite a few. Because I, I so a couple the, rows in the back were empty. Right. I went to I went to the box office. And asked him, yeah, what was the what was the crowd? What was the crowd? He said, well, we were almost sold out, but not quite. Um, and you know what was cool about that stage too? I, and, and I don't know if there are other professional stages because most of the time in comedy clubs we're on small stages and small rooms, three hundred, yeah. you know, something like that. And I imagine maybe in Vegas they do this, but at the front of the stage, there's a, a clock. So it's like when you come on stage, the clock comes up and it tells you, you know, you've got 15 minutes and it counts down. So you constantly know where you are at as far as time, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> I was yeah, like, oh, that's great. That is amazing. This is great because you know, I mean, you know, with the with the whole production and stuff in a room that large, if somebody's trying to light you from the back, you would never know. <laughs> but you actually have a clock, and I thought this is great. They uh, they recently renovated the San Jose Improv, and mm -hmm. you know, so you know, typically how a comedy club is like they have the floor and they have the balcony. Mm -hmm. So the where the balcony is like the rail, like right oh. below the rail, like I guess the floor. I don't know what it's called. There's a digital clock right there. And, oh, and that's, that's cutting nice. down too. So you, you can see that's it from nice. the stage. I can't because I can't see shit. But right. typically you can see it from stage, which is pretty cool. You know, that show too also marks one of one of the people that I really love that I met was uh, Joey Cola. Um, Joey Cola. Who, yeah. So a lot of people don't know his name offhand, but uh, he's well known up the East Coast. He originally was a touring comic and then he became the house uh opening comedian for ellen degeneres so he was oh, the wow. guy who did comedy to warm up uh ellen degeneres show and he's also done warm up for uh other other shows uh particularly that are shot in new york but uh yeah funny guy and he is that quintessential um successful comedian who's a really nice guy. I mean, what I find is that you do, you find that there's so many comedians who could have attitude, but they don't, you know, that they, yeah. they're always nice to you and they're willing to help you and stuff, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, they'll send you free, free DVDs of their stuff, you know, and it's like, it's like, and this guy, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's a guy making probably three, 400 grand just doing comedy a year, you know, it's like, he could definitely be big-headed, but he's not, you know? Awesome. Yeah, definitely. What's Joey Cola doing these days? Is he still around? He's still around. In fact, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's, he does a lot of, I mean, does like, you know. Still doing comedy? Still doing comedy. Nice. And I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. he's on another show doing doing warm-up and stuff. Uh, Ellen's like, we need a warm-up for my, my talk show. Get well, Joey Cola on the phone. <laughs> yeah, so. That's awesome. Do you have any uh, anything coming up? Any projects you're working on? Anything like that? Uh, no real projects. You know, I am. Uh, 
I don't know where this is going out because I've got I've got I'm doing a show. Actually, I'm doing two, two shows Wednesday. I'm doing one online with uh, Danny Dutchie. I'm doing. Oh, nice. one, one yeah, he's awesome. Shows. We know him locally. He's one of our yeah. local guys. Right. So I'm doing one of his online shows and then uh, I'm going up first on that one because I've got a pop out as soon as I finish his show and I'm doing a, a live show in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, so I'm going back to back zoom the live oh, that's awesome uh, well this definitely won't be up by then but i hope you had a good time yeah. i did have a good time <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <good>. <laughs> i'm a i'm a comedian how could it not be fun if i'm talking about myself that's what we did right? <laughs> no i meant out the shows because they didn't happen yet uh, okay. i mean they've already happened by the time people hear this that's right <laughs> that's uh be like, oh, that's what he was mad about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, do you want to go ahead and plug some social media? Sure. Um, I usually have it on my screen. I don't know, but we're doing it's this. this audio. It's this audio. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're missing this. I've got a lovely backdrop of two cowboys and a son, and and then my social media listed at the top with the my uh, Instagram is chip c h i p p Jones J O N E S. And then my Facebook and Twitter are uh, at Chip C H I P P J, and uh, you can. He said P P. P P. P P. I love that. And we are at Hypothetical Comedy on Instagram, and then I am at Funky Sam Medina. You have to finish it. Go ahead. Well, all right. And I'm at She Shines for You on Instagram and Twitter and Athena Rodriguez Comedy on Facebook. Across the board. Across the board. Is that board. what you're waiting for me to yes, say? Yes, I was waiting for it. Uh, she complains every week that I say across the board, and then when I don't say it, she complains about I mean, that. He's That's it. You're damned if you do, it. you're damned if you That's don't. <laughs> uh, welcome to being married. Shave your beard, put it back on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Chip. It was really fun to talk to you. And, uh, hey, thank awesome you for story. having me, guys. It's always thank fun. Thank you so much. That was great. Uh,